You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and guest fanalist, Mr. JJ Lee. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, at JJ Leahy. This is as weird for me as it is for you, but don't worry, we'll get through it together. <laughs> okay, we're trying something new. I have been building a relationship with about 80% of you for around the last year. Regular listeners of the show are going to be familiar with my voice from The Daily Cheese. That's a Packers news update uh, I guess bulletin, you would call it, that when there's actual Packers news going on, which is not happening right now, uh, the Daily Cheese gets published as frequently as daily. So here at Packernet, we are trying something new. We'll see how well it works. Ryan would really like to have the Packernet podcast be published every single day, and that's just not possible for him to be in the studio every single day. So kicking around... The guest host idea, I'm sure Ryan's going to talk about it tomorrow. As for today, uh, he tweeted this out publicly, so I think it's probably okay for me to say he is at a funeral. Now, if you listen to The Daily Cheese, as about 80% of you do, uh, this is not going to be like The Daily Cheese. It's not just going to be a long version of The Daily Cheese. On that show, I only talk about the news. I give a little bit of context and perspective. I don't give my opinion. I don't share research that I've done, which is what we're going to get into today. Now, Ryan and I do not hold the same opinions on everything, but I am certainly a disciple of the Pack Daddy school of thought. Uh, we tend to, I would say, at least approach football-related questions with the same uh, process. And I am a massive fan of the show. Uh, you have heard my name on here a bunch of times, usually because I send in a lot of questions, <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff I want to know about the Packers, and I certainly really respect Ryan's opinion, and I appreciate the way that he comes up with answers. Now, I do want to set your mind at ease. First of all, Ryan asked me to do this, so if you really hate listening to me, Ryan's the guy you got to go complain to. I also do host a, another long-form weekly podcast, uh, No Huddle Radio, over on PackersTalk.com with my good friend, the infamous Gil Martin well-known author and Packers historian, great guy. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should be, at Gil Packers. Check out the stuff he writes over on Cheesehead TV. So what I want to do is keep this still in the spirit of what Ryan does on the show. So I am going to try and commit to every time I mention the Chicago Bears, I hit pause so that the end of that word gets cut off. I really would not want you to feel uncomfortable by hearing the full word and wondering what podcast you're listening to. Now, unfortunately, I don't record in my basement, so there's no furnace right next to me that I can complain about, but I do have an attic fan. It does kick on pretty frequently. I also have a cat who wanders in and out, can definitely yell at her for you. Uh, I don't have an Android, so I don't have the dance party ringtone on there, unfortunately, but I could certainly look for something iPhone-y that is as fun slash annoying as dance party. You know, let's just, I want you to feel comfortable. Because if you're not comfortable, I'm not going to feel comfortable, and I just don't know how this experiment's going to work out. So we're going to have some fun with this and uh, try and build a relationship together. Uh, we'll have to see how frequently this ends up happening. Could be as often as weekly. I know that Ryan often can't record on Sundays, so we'll see. 
have to see how this first episode goes, see if Ryan ever invites me back on here. Next time, if there is a next time that I do an episode on here, we're not going to have a, a preamble where I introduce myself to you. Just going to hop in and start talking Packers or draft or whatever the topic of the day is. And today we are going to touch on a bit of the draft and a bit of the Packers and uh, see where that goes. And who knows, maybe we will even talk a little bit about the Chicago Bears. You know, I mean, if you want to. All right, so it has come to my attention that there are a few draft names we need to talk about. And I chose those words carefully because I do mean names, not players. Elijah Moore, wide receiver out of Mississippi. Elijah Mitchell, running back out of Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. And Elijah Molden, the defensive back uh, from the Washington Huskies. There is no way that this is not a coincidence. This is a sign from God. I liked all three of these players individually before I ever made the name connection. And when I realized that all three of them are Elijah M., I mean, this has to happen. The Packers have to draft these guys, all three of them. Now, being completely serious, all three of these guys are actually pretty interesting prospects. And let's touch on Elijah Moore here first, because this is the guy that I'm kind of the least familiar with of the three. And so we'll do a little bit of digging and learn about him together. In 2020, uh, PFF gave him an elite grade of 91.2. He played in eight games out of 10 that the Mississippi Rebels played that year. The guy is just a straight-up slot receiver. That doesn't mean he can't be productive on the outside. This is a little bit of, you know, how Justin Jefferson was talked about before the draft. PFF gave him a 92.4 receiving grade. They also put him in the top-tier receiving grade, yards per route run, drop rate, contested catch rate, and grade versus man coverage. For fun, I pulled up Rashad Bateman, who is projected to be a first-round pick. The guy is not top tier in all five of those categories. Uh, in drop rate and contested catch rate, he is in the bottom tier and the second bottom tier. Giving you actual numbers, Rashad Bateman's drop rate is 14.3%. Elijah Moore's is 2.3%. Massive difference. Contested catch rate, 40% for Bateman and 73.3% for Elijah Moore. Does this mean Elijah Moore is a better prospect? No, it does not. PFF does have him, they say, first slash second round, so they are still high on him as a prospect. Some drawbacks, uh, primarily a slot receiver, played 38 snaps versus press all season. Height will scare some teams off, but he can still go up and get it. Let's look at his height. Five foot nine. That's really short by Packers wide receiver standards. By far, he would be the shortest wide receiver on the Packers roster. Now, if you open it up to include Tavon Austin, who is no longer a Packer but has not been signed by another team, I don't think he's coming back to the Packers, but we'll just include him in here. Austin is five foot eight, so it's not impossible that the Packers would um, be willing to sign him. They were fine with having Austin on the roster. Darius Shepard was another kind of shorty, uh, five foot eleven. Then you have Reggie Begleton at six foot even. After that, you have Devontae Adams and Juwan Winfrey both at six one, and it just keeps going up. Oh, Malik Taylor is also six foot one. Uh, at six foot two, Chris Blair, six foot four, Devin Funches. Uh, and then six foot five, you have Equinemius. MVS is also six foot four. Alan Lazard is six five. Right, you get the picture. So 
Is this an automatic disqualifier? Absolutely not. But PFF is mentioning it as one of the concerns. And of NFL teams, you would definitely put the Packers at the very far end of the spectrum of teams who kind of don't compromise very much on height. The list continues. It says lots of schemed production over the middle of the field. I'm not even going to pretend that this would be a concern for the Packers because that's exactly what they would want to use him for. So if he is able to do that, I mean, that is exactly what Matt LaFleur likes to do. I'm just going to cross that one right out with a cramp. 86 receptions on 101 targets with 1,193 yards, 13.9 yards per reception, eight touchdowns in 2020, 16 career touchdowns over three years. This guy is where he's supposed to be at the right time. Aaron Rodgers would really like him. Again, he is pretty short. That is the big concern, and similar to Justin Jefferson, really heavily used as a slot receiver, and you don't know if he can be productive on the outside. Can he be that deep threat? With Justin Jefferson, the answer was yes, absolutely he can, and the dude is one of the best wide receivers in football. Is Elijah Moore going to have the same answer to that question? You don't know that until you actually get him uh, in your locker room. But here's something that could help him do exactly just that. He's blazing fast. His 40 time was a 4-3-4. Now, Ryan mentioned like a couple days ago that everybody's 40 times this year feel kind of ridiculously fast, and he's not sure he really trusts the number. So uh, worth mentioning that. But the only guy last year who posted a faster 40 time was Henry Ruggs, who ran a 4-2-7. No other prospect uh, at all ran a four three four. So Elijah Moore extremely fast. Here's an article uh, written by Michael Wayne Bratton about a month ago. Uh, looks like he's a uh, Alabama no an Ole Miss writer. <clears throat> he says when it comes to a receiver carrying an offense, only Devonte Smith, Alabama, could claim to have done more to help his team last season than Elijah Moore. While Smith led the nation in receptions with one hundred seventeen. Uh, receiving yards, 18-56, and receiving touchdowns, 23. Moore finished second nationally in both receptions and receiving yards last season. Ben Fennell on Twitter uh, posted a clip of Elijah Moore looking really super-duper cool and superhero-y. He's a NFL draft so-called expert for NFL Network, uh, and ESPN. I mostly tend to like the kind of stuff he posts. Uh, not super familiar with his work, but he posts this clip of Elijah Moore and writes, great sign of confident hands is maintaining speed at the catch point on crossing routes. Exactly what Moore is doing in this clip. He goes on to say, uh, Moore can pluck and move with the best of them. Dude has really great hands. We see that in his, uh, his stats. His drop rate is ridiculously low. 2.3% in this like montage clip that Fennel posts. He doesn't wobble the ball at all. He just snags it from the air and keeps going, doesn't slow down at all. Seems like he would be a phenomenal fit with LaFleur's offense. All right. I have spent a lot of time talking about more. We got to move on to a couple other Elijah M's. But first, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Elijah Molden is a slot corner. Uh, PFF has him listed as a safety. They project him to be a second round pick. It looks unlikely you could get Elijah Moore and Elijah Molden because of how early they both will go in the draft. Molden climbed really steadily from the beginning of the year up to the beginning of March, uh, rising from a fourth round prospect all the way to projected second aggregate. He is projected to go around pick 55, which means he would be gone before the Packers second round pick. Five foot nine, 192 pounds, ran a four six two forty. That is considerably slower than the 4.48 average cornerback in the NFL. If Elijah Moore is a slot receiver who could potentially be more, Elijah Molden is a slot corner who could not be more. Partly why having him play safety makes a little bit more sense, although he's kind of on the smallish side for his safety, but the average uh, 40 time for a strong safety in the NFL is a 4-4 or a 4-5-5, sorry. Free safety, 4-5-3. Still faster than Elijah Molden. However, PFF does not make any bones about the fact that he is the best slot corner in college football over the last two years. They emphasize that multiple times uh, in his profile. He had an 85.2 overall grade in 2020. He had a 90.8 in 2019, came down a little bit more. Also did not play in very many games. He played four games in 2020. His 2020 stats and grades overall are not that much to look at. He just, he didn't play very much in 2020. Uh, Stat comparables, coverage grade, they gave him an 86.2, top uh, tier. Second uh, one they have mentioned here is his run defense grade, 77.2. They still put him in the top tier. You know, he's a, a good player there. Missed tackle rate, 13.9%. That's a little bit north of average in the good way, but it's not super far away from average. Forced incompletion rate, 11.1%. Same deal as missed tackles. Average depth of run tackle, 5.1 yards. Not great. That's that's pretty high. Uh, that's, you know, if you remember the concerns about Blake Martinez and, you know, okay, he always got his guy, but... You know, they would pick up the first down before he got to him. This is kind of the same thing you're seeing with Molden. Dude is a slot corner. Uh, the the types of routes he's covering are going to lead to this a lot. So how much of that you're going to hold against him? What I'd like to do would be to compare him 
against Sean Wade. The problem is Sean Wade didn't really play slot corner very much in 2020. That was a 2019 thing. And the PFF that I have does not give me access to those kind of stats for prior to 2020. Molden has been compared a lot to Sean Wade. Now, Sean Wade, excellent slot corner. They moved him outside in 2020, and he kind of showed that he couldn't really keep up outside. Uh, Hurt his draft stock a lot. He moved from borderline uh, mid-first-round pick down to probably fourth round at this point. He's just plummeted. The draft community has a higher regard for Elijah Molden, who is still just a slot corner the same as Sean Wade is. And remember, Sean Wade is a very, very good slot corner. And they are still saying that that is only worth a fourth round pick. Now, it's possible that they're looking at Molden and saying, well, we don't know if he could be productive outside, whereas we know Sean Wade definitely can't. I'm not really going to put a ton of stock into that. I think that what you can more safely lean on is just that the draft uh, experts, so-called, just have a ton of respect for Molden as a slot corner. And although that is only worth so much if you have one of the best in the game, which Molden is certainly described as, well, your slot corner is a starting player. That is one of your starting 11 most of the time. Pros and cons. Let's go through them. Elijah Molden, one of college football's best at transitioning to vertical routes from the slot. Targeted missile as a tackler, 22 misses on 172 career attempts. Got his hands on 17 passes over the past year and a half. He's a playmaker. No fear despite size. Rarely felt like an issue on tape, which is good because his size is definitely not good. Uh, No question about that. Cons, only a slot corner over the course of his career, dabbled at safety in the final game of 2020. I I think that that is a bit understated. I think he has played more safety than just that. I don't have stats for you, but that uh, I, I, I think that that's considerably understated. Lack of length makes transition to safety a difficult one. Could, stare, could scare teams off. I mentioned that in my opener. Wants to take on blocks in run game, but won't realistically do so in the box. Here's a big one. Relative athletic score, a putrid 4.65. Composite size grade, poor. Composite speed grade, poor. Well, we already knew that he was slow and small. No question, though, this guy cannot be a replacement for Kevin King. He just can't. This is a very different type of player. Every um, draft profile I've seen on him is very adamant about where they want him on the field, whether that is as a slot corner or or as a nickel, and it's always inside. You're not going to see him play on the outside. He just can't do it. This would be uh, an upgrade over Chandon Sullivan or a Raven Green replacement, not over Kevin King. So, I don't know, a second round pick seems a little bit high to spend on Elijah Molden, uh, particularly because you could get the same type of player in Sean Wade, who, as I mentioned, is projected right now to go in the fourth round. Uh, Is is Elijah a better player? Probably. But for where he's uh, projected to be drafted, it, it just the value doesn't seem to be there for me. I do really like him. I didn't bring him up for no reason I if he goes in the second round I am gonna say yeah hope it works out for you guys I'm glad we didn't spend a second round pick on him if he falls a bit jump all over this guy third round fourth round heck yeah and and for the record I would take him over Sean Wade 
Ryan, if you're listening, I'm not fanboying over Sean Wade because he's an Ohio State guy. You know darn well that Sean Wade is an excellent comparison to Elijah Molden. So this brings us to our third and final Elijah M. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, running back. Of the three guys, this is my favorite, and part of it, honestly, is I love running backs. Running back is one of the positions that I have the easiest time evaluating. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, another Ohio State guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only running back so far in the last few years since I started paying attention to the draft that I was really high on, who so far has not done well in the NFL. I think Dobbins was my second favorite running back in that draft uh, behind Jonathan Taylor. Dobbins is not terrible. Uh, 71.5 overall grade last year. He had an 81.6 rushing grade, 46.2 receiving grade. That's not awful. Uh, for being a second-round pick, it is disappointing. And it's certainly not in the same tier as Jonathan Taylor. 83.9 overall, 84.1 rushing. Uh, yeah, that is slightly higher. I had to check Dobbins rushing grade. And 73.3 receiving grade. Jonathan Taylor was definitely a lot better than Dobbins, uh, and I did have Taylor ranked higher, So, but uh, other than Dobbins, my track record on running backs is pretty good, and I really like Elijah Mitchell. 2018, 83.8, 2019, 86.9, 2020, down slightly, 85.8, that would be his second best of the three years, played, uh, looks like, every game for all three years. Uh, 141 rushing attempts in 2020, got 869 yards, 6.2 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, uh, receiving. I don't have a grade for Elijah Mitchell's receiving 19 targets, 16 receptions, 153 receiving yards. You see similar numbers receiving for all three years in terms of receptions, uh, off of targets, 21 targets, 20 receptions from 2018, 13 targets, 10 receptions in 2019. And just to repeat 19 targets, 16 receptions in 2020 seems pretty good in the, in the receiving game. I wish that uh, PFF would give him a receiving grade. I don't know why they don't. Let me hype him up for you a little bit before we get into the cons. John Meerdink of the Blue 58 podcast broke down running backs that the Packers uh, sh have shown interest in. What's their type? What seems to be the traits that they're looking for in Green Bay? Obviously, we know that the narrative is that the Packers really like the guys with a har uh, high RAS, um, 8 or higher out of 10 on RAS. Ryan has made a point of pushing back on that lately. Uh, I don't put a ton of stock into it, but 7.5 RAS uh, is what is considered good just by the rest of the league. Mitchell is a 9.44, 9.44 out of 10. Mirdig highlights the height adjusted speed score, something that he's really interested in. You want not just the small shifty guys, you want guys who can move a lot of mass really quickly at 112 speed score. Uh, Mitchell stands at 5'11", 218 pounds. That's pretty good. That is top tier. Let me elaborate. Not saying the Packers are certainly looking for that type of player. I'm saying that is what is considered desirable when you're looking at draft prospects. That is what would make a guy top tier. So the Packers might be interested in a Tyler Irvin type, but the uh, analysts would 
consider Elijah Mitchell's type to be desirable. This is a, a top tier, as I say. Myrdink has a rubric. He breaks down of the running backs who have a 7.5 RAS or higher. He has them broken into tiers. Uh, top tier is the guys who hit in all three of the following categories. That would be the height adjusted speed score, touchdowns per game, and in the passing game, your receptions per game. So if you hit the benchmark for all three of those, you would be put into the top tier. If you hit two out of three of those, you are second tier. And if you hit one out of those three and have a 7.5 or higher RAS, Myrdink puts you in his third tier. What's the benchmark for touchdowns per game and why do we care about that? Well, there is there are studies out there that indicate that your touchdowns per game in college translate pretty well to your touchdowns per game in the pros. Uh, the benchmark that Myrdick set for touchdowns per game is 0.75 or higher, three quarters of a touchdown per game. Uh, Mitchell is at 1.17, so just over a touchdown per game, uh, 46 touchdowns in 41 games played. Receptions per game, you're looking for one or more. Again, Mitchell is a 1.17. He's not 117 in both categories. He's 117 in receptions and 112 in touchdowns. I just read the wrong line. There are three running backs total in tier one. One of them is Travis Etienne. One is Chuba Hubbard. And the other is Elijah Mitchell. Now, where is Najee Harris? Why is he not up here? Lack of information. You have to assume Najee Harris would be in the top tier. However, Najee Harris did not run the 40-yard dash. Uh, they don't have an official time form for that. Uh, unofficially, he has run a 4.45, so you would think he probably would be in this top tier, but he did get eliminated from Meerdink's rubric. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say there's four guys in the top tier. Elijah Mitchell is the only guy who you wouldn't have to spend a really high draft pick to go get. Chuba Hubbard projected to go uh, in the fourth round. Maybe we can get Ryan to talk about Chuba Hubbard a bit. This He's a fascinating prospect. Elijah Mitchell, aggregate, projected for the seventh round. Pick 238. I'm calling bogus. I do not think he will go in the seventh round. Uh, not saying every team has him really high, but there is a team out there that has much higher than a seventh round projection on him. I don't think he falls out of the fifth round, Elijah Mitchell. So this is one of those instances where if the Packers were to draft him in, say, the fifth round, they would catch some flack for that. Fans would be upset. The analysts would like to laugh, you know, point and laugh. Oh, you reached the fifth round for a guy that we said wasn't going to go until the seventh round. First off, the Packers don't care about that. Second, if they want the guy, I think they will need to draft him maybe in the fifth round, maybe the sixth. I would I would be surprised if he falls to the sixth. The guy has too many pros and not enough cons for me to see him falling out of the fifth round. The highest he's ever ranked in the aggregate, according to NFL Mock Draft Database, looks like January 23rd, he was at pick 150. Now, the 23rd, he was at 175, but the, the peak rank they have for him is 150th, so he's been higher earlier, and 150 puts you at the back of the fifth round. 
Draft Bible on Sports Illustrated. After a stellar 2019 campaign in which he ran for over 1,100 yards and 16 touchdowns, Mitchell opted to return to the Raging Cajuns. A rugged, tough downhill runner, Mitchell understands which hole to hit and has the ability to run to daylight. He demonstrates the balance to shed tackles and elude defenders, maintaining a low center of gravity as a ball carrier. Uh, we'll put, put, put a pin in that and come back to that note. Mitchell is a running back who can control the game. His knack for gaining positive yardage on most of his carries wears down defenses. Oh, I love that sentence. He can then hit a home run after breaking defenses down with his physical style of running. Low center of gravity. Let's revisit that. We're going to go look at what PFF says. One of their two main cons that they have listed for him. Hesitancy into contact. Rare to see him lower shoulder. I've seen a couple other profiles mention that he runs too upright and needs to lean forward more. Same problem you see with uh, A.J. Dillon, by the way. Now, let me point out that is the kind of thing that coaches will point to and say, oh, I can coach that out of him. You see all the time the comparison may coaches will look at two players, uh, one who has really good form and one who has really bad form, who have the same level of production. Which guy do they want? Well, they want the guy with bad form. Why? Because he is not playing correctly. He's not playing as well, but he's getting the same results because of his physical ability. And they feel that they can coach him into good habits and take advantage of the athletic traits and abilities that he has. In other words, you can't coach speed. You can't coach the, you know power and explosiveness, You know things that are just physical attributes. You can coach form. Ben Sermon's running back coach for the Packers. Never met him. He probably wouldn't appreciate me speaking for him. I think he would look at Elijah Mitchell and say, oh, yeah, I have confidence in my abilities as a coach. We can teach him to run with the proper form, teach him the technique, and we will increase the production. Coaches tend to be pretty high on their own coaching ability. The biggest red flag with Mitchell, the level of competition he has faced. He's had 44 career carries versus power five defenses. Not good. Let me ask you a question, though. If you put an elite player in that situation, what do you expect from them? Elite level of play, right? Well, this is what you're getting from Mitchell. PFF looks at him on a snap-by-snap basis and evaluates how good is he executing his assignments. They really like what he did. Uh, He had a mid-80s grade every single year. Overall rushing grade, 85.5 in 2020. Zone grade, 85.8. Gap grade, 68.8. Still uh, very close to that 70 uh, good grade. Elusiveness rating, 120.8. Yards after contact per attempt, 4.04. That is not half bad. Final analysis. From PFF, Mitchell ticks a ton of boxes, but his level of competition is concerning. Ideal build for an all-around back at 5'11", 218 pounds, can win a number of different ways. Ticks the speed and burst boxes you want to see for an NFL back. Talented footwork for a bigger back. He does have three years of production. Uh, They do note as a point of concern, he ran behind a dominant Louisiana line that has produced multiple NFL players. I mean, I'm not going to ding a guy for having good teammates. PFF has decided to do so. Uh, They project him as a sixth-round pick. So there you go, the three Elijah M's. I like all three of them. Uh, Elijah Mitchell running back would be my favorite of the three. Then Elijah Moore, wide receiver. And again, you know, it's more to do with I just am really in love with the running back position. 
and for where he's projected to go versus the value that I think he brings, dude seems like a steal to me. Elijah Moore, fantastic player, and he is being projected <laughs> draft-wise as such. This would be your first pick of the draft if you get Elijah Moore. I would basically put it out of the question of could the Packers get him uh, with their second pick in the draft. Could he go in the second round? Absolutely. Will he go at the back of the second round? I don't think so. Elijah Moore, definitely the better player between him and Elijah Mitchell, as far as we can tell. Uh, Value-wise, Mitchell wins hands down. And then Elijah Molden, cornerback. um, uh, You know, again, this is a guy I don't like where he's being drafted. Actually, in his case, I would say that this is just too early, not even just for the Packers, but it's it's too early to take a guy with, you know, his ceiling and his skill set. The running back and the wide receiver, both of those Elijah M's uh, have a high floor and you're, you have questions about their ceiling. The cornerback has a high floor and we know he has a low ceiling. But if he falls to the third round, certainly the fourth round, then I'm interested in taking a swing at Elijah Molden. So would love to get any one of these three guys. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some non-draft stuff. I got an interesting interview for you to listen to. All right, we're back. So the Packers signed a new long snapper. They have two long snappers on the roster, and I want to talk a bit about special teams, uh, one of my favorite topics. Definitely not a sexy topic, but really important. And after how much special teams hurt us last year, it needs to be a priority. Unfortunately, it is. So Joe Fortunato, long snapper. Uh, He previously was with the Dallas Cowboys Last year, interesting guy because he has not played a down of football since 2015. I talked to him on the phone, asked him what was up. It was really interesting to get an NFL player's perspective and peek behind that curtain and see just how hard it is to break into the NFL. Uh, Joe is just a normal guy like you or me. And the interesting thing is long snapper is such a unique position. There are going to just be basically 32 long snappers in the league. This isn't like wide receiver where you're going to have several of them on the practice squad. You don't get chances to impress or show what you can do. Basically, if the team has a really crappy long snapper and they want to replace him, then they'll bring in competition. And otherwise, it's just not something they think about. At one point, Joe said, second long snapper in, first guy out. That when they're looking for, okay, we got to trim down to uh, 90 players, and then we got to trim down to 53 players. Your second long snapper is the very first place you look of, okay, we're, we're not keeping multiple. We're not keeping a backup long snapper. Is the starter good enough? Great. See ya. The following year, I didn't do as well as I'd hoped in uh, the camp, and um, I ended up through like a connection and like sending my film out. I got to work out with the Falcons in the beginning of August. The next year, I went to rookie minicamp with the Giants, and they already had two snappers, so and nothing happened. So, and uh, thank God the camp didn't get canceled. The country shut down literally a week after his owners combine last year. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be still doing this because it wouldn't. I wouldn't have any. Would have been no reason to keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I ended up signing with the Cowboys. Then the offseason gets canceled. I don't get out there to the end of July. I'm there for two weeks, and they cut rosters and preseason games, so they cut me. So and I'm the second long snapper, first to go. So going in this year, I'm like, all right, I got to gotta make it happen now. I'm running out of time here. 
I'm so close. And uh, I actually had to work out with the Packers in November. And then I went up to the camp two weeks ago out in uh, Gary's Honors Combine again. And I thought I performed as well as I could have. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I got this opportunity in Green Bay. And I don't think there's any opportunity better in the NFL right now. So I'm very fortunate. Hey, way to stick with it and Thank you. keep pushing through. <laughs> and what was your season with Dallas like? Uh, literally, I was, I was there for like two weeks. It, it was really – I was fired up to finally get out there, beautiful facilities. And then, um, you know, great Coach Fossil, the special teams coach. I admire him. I was excited to get to work with him and learn from there. He's been there forever, this guy LP. I thought I'd – it was a perfect situation to get to learn and get ready. And uh, then I got sent home because there was no opportunity for some, for me to get experience. You know what I mean? And they didn't want to hold a second uh, snapper, but I enjoy, I mean, it was a blessing because it kept, it allowed me to keep going with this. You know what I mean? Now I'm, now I'm here in an incredible opportunity. And uh, it kind of seemed like it all like happening. You know, I always felt like I was doing the right thing and every year, a small thing would happen. And I take a small, I always felt like it was a small step forward towards where I was trying to go. And there was always something that kept me in it, you know, moving forward. Seems like I got the opportunity I've been working for for the past five years. So I'm just hoping I, I'm able to make it out there and nothing changes, but I'll be ready to go when the time comes. What was going through your mind when the Packers called Brian Gutekunst? Uh, well, it was, it was last, it was actually literally one week ago from this moment, like right now, I was driving, uh, home from getting lunch with my girlfriend and uh, my agent called me and it popped up and he, he doesn't call me unless something important. And uh, I was like, Oh, Oh, no, oh crap. So I picked up my phone and he's just like, Joe, uh, I just spoke with the Packers and uh, they want to fly in and sign you. And you know, I, you know, my heart was pounding. I was so excited. I've been, you know, this, this thing, it's hard. It's not, it's not easy staying at this knowing that you never know what could happen. Things could not go, you know, easily not go your way. It's so hard to get your foot in the doors a long snap in the NFL especially in my situation right now, having been out of college for a little while. I can't even put into words, really. It was such an exciting feeling, and um, you know, I'm so happy I could tell my dad, you know, we got some good news here, and uh, the, the dream continues, you know, um, especially Green Bay. Where else would you rather be in the NFL? <laughs> the Green Bay Packers, I, I, it was incredible. Will Joe Fortunato be the long snapper for the Packers this season? Will he beat out Hunter Bradley? So Joe knows it's a long shot. Um, Hunter Bradley was drafted. Not many long snappers are drafted. New special teams coordinator for the Packers, Mo Drayton, was asked about Hunter Bradley and J.K. Scott. And he said that uh, the wording he used is that their backs are against the wall because they didn't make significant improvements in the last couple seasons. J.K. Scott and Hunter Bradley, I'm going to put in very different positions. I think there's actually serious questions about Hunter Bradley's future with the team. Not so much with J.K. Scott. We have two punters and two kickers. Ryan Winslow is the other punter who has been on the roster since the end of the 2020 season. And Joe Fortunato, obviously, is our second long snapper. Let's compare the Ryan Winslow and J.K. Scott situation to Sam Ficken and Mason Crosby in the 2019 offseason. Mason Crosby had a pretty bad 2018 season. His field goal PFF grade was 53.7. That's that's terrible. 37 field goals attempted. That was third in the league. Uh, 30 field goals made. He missed seven out of 37. That's not great. 
on extra points. He was 34 of 36. Now, the big game that everybody remembers is that Lions game where Crosby basically single-handedly lost that game. The worst game of his life. He missed four field goals and an extra point. That is 13 points that Crosby left on the board. The Lions won by eight points. Uh, He missed field goals of 41, 48, and 38 yards in the first half. And then he missed a 56-yarder in the fourth quarter. I don't know why you even attempt a 56-yarder after he's already missed from 38, 48, and 41 yards in that game. His 42-yarder, they say, hit the right upright, as did his one extra point attempt. Let's take that particular game out of the equation, okay? So on that day, he missed four field goals and an extra point. So total, if you take those out, then he attempted 30 field goals and made 33 of them, attempted 35 extra points and made 34. Still not awesome. Compare that to 2019 after he had competition in the preseason. In 2019, he attempted 24 field goals and made 22 of them, attempted 41 extra points, made 40 of them. His field goal grade in 2019 was 71.8. 2020 is such a dramatically different year. It's hilarious because the Packers offense was crazy in 2020. (laughs) So they were settling for field goals far less. He only attempted 16 field goals. That was tied for 29th in the league. He made all 16 of them. He was perfect on field goals. Attempted 63 extra points because (laughs) they scored so many stinking touchdowns. Uh, He made 59 out of those 63. That was the most attempts and the most extra points made in the entire league. 74.2% field goal grade. And then his kickoff grade was 78.7 which is up from the previous couple of years, 67.5 in 2019 and 66.7 in 2018. So 2020 was a much better year for Mason Crosby than the last few have been. In the 2019 offseason, after his terrible 2018 year, Goody brought in Sam Ficken to be competition for Mason Crosby in the preseason. Bill Huber writes, that uh, on August 31st of that year, after Sam Ficken finally got cut, Mason Crosby has beaten out Sam Ficken to earn a 13th season as the Green Bay Packers kicker. It was a hotly contested battle with Ficken, the strong-legged but inexperienced challenger. Sounds like Ryan Winslow and Joe Fortunato. Crosby hadn't faced a challenger since 2013 when he was coming off a dreadful 2012 season in which he was a league-worst 21 of 33 which is 63.6% on field goals. Crosby wasn't that bad in 2018, but he wasn't very good either. Here's the thing. Mason Crosby was not that much better than Sam Ficken in the preseason. They were putting up, both of them, pretty much perfect uh, reps in practice. Hard to find a flaw with either one. So at that point, you had to ask the question, is it worth paying all the extra money to Mason Crosby when Sam Ficken is putting up the same production as Crosby is in training camp. Well, the Packers chose to roll with Mason Crosby. In other words, Sam Ficken did not outright beat Crosby. And so 
the veteran experience that Crosby provided was what won him the job. I don't think there was actually any serious intent by the Packers that Ficken was going to beat out Crosby. I don't think they really thought Crosby sucked. They were challenging him to be better, and he has been much better since that training camp battle. Something interesting, Sam Ficken has not gone on to have any kind of a remarkable career since then. In 2019, he played for the Jets. Actually, I think he just played for the Jets for both years. Uh, 2019, 27 attempts, <laughs> 19 made. Ouch. For how well he played in training camp, the dude was terrible on the field. Awful. I remember at this time, I was actually... At the time when Ficken was still on the roster and they had not decided to go with Crosby, I was in favor of moving on from Crosby and saving a lot of money by keeping Ficken. But I here was my big concern. Rewind the clock back. At that point, the Vikings and Bears both did not have kickers. This was just months after the Bears were eliminated from the playoffs due to the double doink. They were desperately searching for a kicker. Uh, took quite a while, I mean, more than a year later before they finally uh, found a guy. The Vikings did not have a kicker either. Both of these guys, both these teams were um, cycling through just terrible kickers. The Vikings, let me look this up. What pick did they trade away for uh, Kari Vedvik? Let me look this up. A fifth round pick. The Vikings traded a fifth round pick to the Ravens for Kari Vedvik and then cut him just a few weeks later. Well done, Minnesota Vikings. So obviously I was definitely terrified that if we cut Mason Crosby and kept Ficken, there was no chance in the world that he was not going to become a bear because that is just how the NFC North works. But I was also scared of moving on from Ficken. They cut Ficken. Uh, Bears and Vikings both passed on Ficken, and Ficken became a Jet. So in 2019, he had that crappy season. In 2020, he was a little bit better, uh, only attempted 15 field goals. I mean, the Jets' offense was atrocious. Uh, 15 field goals, he made 13 of those, attempted 15 extra points, and made 12 of those. In all four of those categories, he ranks either 31st or 32nd in the league. Field goal grade 47, kickoff grade 60.1, one of the worst kickers in the league. Just a reminder to never take what happens in training camp as gospel and not put so much emphasis in it. And I mean, we see this every single year. Guys just ball out in the preseason and then do nothing uh, when it's game time. Hey, here's a fun fact. In 2020, Mason Crosby scored 107 points. He put up 59 on extra points, and he had 40 points total coming off of field goals. The New York Jets scored 243 points in the entire season. Mason Crosby single-handedly almost put up half the number of points that the entire New York Jets offense scored. Not really making a point. I'm just saying that that happened. So Sam Thicken was there to motivate Mason Crosby to play better. Mason Crosby needed to become a better version of himself than what he was in 2018. I think this is what Ryan Winslow is to J.K. Scott. J.K. Scott, for all the crap that he gets from fans and from analysts, PFF grades him out as the fourth best punter 
in the NFL. His punting grade was 77.9. For some reason, he has a kickoff grade as well. I think he had one kickoff when Crosby was hurt. I think that was when... Maybe that was the Rams playoff game when uh, Crosby got folded like a pretzel and was out for a few minutes. And anyways, doesn't really matter. You don't hire a punter for his kickoff ability. Anyways, 77.9 is pretty darn good among punters. He, like I said, is the fourth best punter in the league via PFF. Now, his actual uh, stats are just so hard to judge. How do you judge what makes a great punter? Well, you don't want touchbacks. You want punts that are that land in between uh, inside the 20. You also want a really nice hang time. The problem with J.K. Scott is a ton of his punts were returned. Average yards per return, 17.1. Explain to me how that is J.K. Scott's fault, that the Gunners and the rest of the special teams are all sucking at their jobs. Ryan's already ranted on this. I don't need to do the same. I'm bringing it back up so it's fresh in your memory. Hunter Bradley, on the other hand, kind of sucked last year. A lot of bad snaps. Uh, There was one in particular very memorable bad snap. This was in the Rams game. J.K. Scott saved that play. There was a bad snap from Hunter Bradley. Nobody was blocking. I think Oren Burks in particular just, like, ignored the guy in front of him. J.K. Scott somehow snags this ball out of the air where it's not supposed to be and still manages to get it off his foot and it lands inside the five-yard line. Now, you talk about a moment that could have gone badly. That right there, and and this is before the game was salted away. This was back when the Rams were still well within punching distance of the Packers' score. This was very nearly a blocked punt. Would have given the Rams excellent field position. They probably easily could have scored from where they were on the field. And instead, now they're starting well on their own side of the field. And this was far from the only instance where Hunter was a liability. I think the Packers are viewing the Joe Fortunato and Hunter Bradley competition much more as an actual competition as opposed to just let's motivate Hunter to be better. Now, at the end of the day, you just want the best long snapper out there. Do I care who wins? No, I don't. I want a long snapper who I never have to think about. I want a long snapper whose name I can barely remember. When I go to a restaurant, yeah, I'd like to know my server's name and have an idea of who they are because they do great things for me. I'd like to know that the chef does a great job. I don't want to have any reason to need to know the name of the guy who cleans the bathrooms there. I don't ever want to think about how clean the bathrooms are because if I walk into a clean bathroom, I don't notice that it's clean. I just don't notice that it's disgusting. Your long snapper should be invisible because he's so good, you never have any reason to turn to the guy next to you and say, ugh, who the heck is our long snapper anyways? Ironically, Hunter Bradley is one of the few long snappers in the league who even got any votes for the Pro Bowl. In fan voting, Hunter Bradley finished number one overall uh, at long snapper. You guys did that, not me. I I did vote for freaking long snapper in the Pro Bowl. Mo Drayton, new special teams coordinator, did not comment at all on what he wanted Hunter Bradley and J.K. Scott to do better. He said that he was keeping that between him and them, said that they know what the goals are that he has set for them, that he wants to see them achieve. Now, former 
Packers special teams coordinator Sean Menenga had a little bit more to say about Hunter Bradley before he got fired. This was about a year ago. This is before the 2020 season began, and there were some questions in his mind, actually, even though fans had not seen anything yet to uh, alarm that up, them at all. But Menenga says there's a couple of snaps at different points toward the middle of the 2019 season, and he had a stretch at the end of the season where there were a couple of short snaps that had some wobble to them. We've talked about that. He's having a good offseason from talking to him. He knows the things he needs to work on. He's a good pro, yada, yada, yada. Same things Mo Drayton was saying. He finishes up with something more interesting. I think the consistency standpoint, just throughout the season on his short snaps on a few things, we've talked about those, and he'll get those fixed and just a few accuracy things. I would have to say, after watching the 2020 season, those did not get fixed. Now, at the time that this interview took place, Bill Huber wrote... Hunter Bradley still has a chance to make the roster because he's the only snapper in Green Bay, which obviously makes the job his to lose. Of course, as with any position, competition is only a phone call away. Well, competition is here now. Joe Fortunato, Brian Gutekunst has made it clear special teams, well, Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur have made it clear special teams needs to be a priority for them this year. Sean Menega got fired. Mason Crosby was fine. I don't think he's going anywhere. They did not bring any competition in for him. J.K. Scott and Hunter Bradley both have competition. And keep in mind, Hunter Bradley actually is getting more expensive. The longer he's on the roster, his contract means that he gets paid a bit more every year. He has three full seasons under his belt. That in and of itself, for a mediocre long snapper, reason for me to be interested in moving on. You know what? Actually, I stand corrected. Uh, We do have a second kicker. J.J. Molson. I always forget about this guy. We have two kickers, two punters, two long snappers. With as disappointing as Hunter Bradley has been, I am rooting for Joe Fortunato here. Fortunato had a pretty good college career. He was a walk-on and eventually got a scholarship for the last two years uh, that he was at school. Full ride for long snapping. Can you believe it? This was at the University of Delaware. Go Blue Hens. Former coach of his, Dave Brock, introduced Joe to a special teams camp at the University of Delaware later, saying nobody knew the name Joe Fortunato because he snapped so well for four years and never had a reason to make his name known. Alrighty, well, that does it for us time-wise. We're going to wrap things up. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation today. I apologize because we never did end up talking about the Chicago Bears, but you got some extra podcast material for your Sunday. We are just four short days away from the NFL Draft. The Packers will either trade back out of the first round or we will have a new Packer to cheer for. Follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy if you want to keep up with everything Green Bay Packers. And I will hopefully see you again soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye.